baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. America. I am not a number. I am a free man. Wiggins America. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Wiggins. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. Casting here on Wiggins America, and I'm walking around, not in front of the microphone. Now it sounds better, right? Hello, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, thank good you. Morning. Thank you for being so awake. <laughs> Appreciate you right, both. Good morning. Yeah. Well, Roy's already been here. Did you hear the interview that we just did with the bird that took a dump on Joe Biden this week? Yeah, it was. No, you did not. Journalism. Don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're trying to be good. Don't lie and say that you heard it, though. No, I you did clearly not. didn't. I can see by the look on your face that you didn't. You're like, yeah, yes, I did. I Ryan. did. <laughs> I have nothing going else going on. I just listened to all two hours of your show, which you can do by podcast. By the way, highly suggest you do that if you're listening right now and you didn't hear that. I do actually do that. You listen to the whole podcast afterwards? Yeah, I listen to the podcast afterwards. So does Roy. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I didn't know it's that just, you did, that's though. That's the two of us. Yeah, you guys are listening to <laughs> When you're yourselves. looking at those downloads. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you didn't even hear that whole thing we did. We did a whole segment on how bad CNN Plus is doing in comparison to Wiggins America ratings, and we're beating them. <laughs> I believe that. Because <laughs> Roy great. and I aren't listening to CNN Plus. Uh, I know. Yeah. I know. Well, I asked Roy because I assumed that he was subscribing. He wasn't. So yeah. surprised. Oh, couldn't even so get surprised. Roy. Um, the clip I want to play for you is this. With regard to food shortage, yes, we did re- re- talk about food shortages. And, uh, and it's going to be real. The, the price of these sanctions is not just imposed upon Russia. It's imposed upon an awful lot of countries as well, including European countries and our country as well. That is from about two and a half weeks ago. Joe Biden, in the midst of the Ukraine war, comes out and says, well, there's going to be food shortages. <laughs> I, I've held on to that because I, I thought at the time, wow, that's interesting that the president would come out and say that. But I wanted to hold it back and not do it right away because that was one of those things that I think all of us in the talk world, you know, probably mentioned. But I wanted to test it. And I'm not saying that we're, well, we're past that now, but we're two and a half weeks past it and nobody's talking about it anymore. You'd think if there were going to be massive food shortages across the world, 
that that would have been the kickoff point for us to continue to be talking about that. Now, food's costing a lot more money, but there aren't food shortages, at least for us in the United States. When you hear the president of the United States get up and say that, what what is your reaction when it's Joe Biden telling you, Tricia, there's going to be food shortages soon? I, my reaction to it was, I don't know how it could get worse. We've been talking about for the past couple of years that the supply chain is causing food shortages. So taking it a step further, when I hear him say that, it sounds like an excuse to me for something that's already happening. Yeah. If, if there's not a bigger threat looming, that's that's how I perceive that clip. I guess when I say we're not having food shortages, I'm wrong. Because right. we no, are we have having been. food We've shortages. We've been talking about... Yeah. But it's been stuff so far that you can live without. Sure. I mean, it's not as if you can't get bread right now. Mm-hmm. Because when, but that's, I think that's my point is when I say that the president gets up and says, well, there's going to be food shortages. Specifically, he cites and Zero Hedge and a lot of like investment corps have said the problem is going to be wheat because Russia grows a lot of wheat and we're not importing their wheat anymore. Well, as far as I know, so does the United States grows a lot of wheat. So it just surprises me. Roy, when I when I hear the president of the United States get up after we had four years of Trump, that is relentless optimism. But Obama, George W. Bush, Clinton, I can't think of another president in my lifetime that would get up and just tell you negative news like, well, get ready. Things are about to get worse. (laughs) What a terrible leadership. Carter was that way. Well, I mean, I think it was we're my point. Gonna, yeah, we're going to have sense. to get used to wearing sweaters. You know, they were there were comments like that that uh, heating oil or something was was going through the roof or what's going to be hard to get. I, I think, unfortunately, I, I agree with you that it's weird that he did that as a leader. But I think, like Tricia said, he was he was covering for what might be coming because all of my farmer buddies that mm-hmm. I hang around with. Uh, the talk, old bastards. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what we call Roy's fans, old bastards. Yeah. Uh, hanging out at the gun shop. We, we, they talk about this. Apparently, Ukraine, more so than any of the Russia imports, Ukraine is like the breadbasket of that part of, of the world. Of the Soviet bloc. And so I think the anticipation that if they're mired down in a war, that's going to massively impact their production. Yeah. And that some at some point may trickle down and and affect us, but why come out proactively and just? I mean, I I kind of understand it, but I kind of don't. Mm-hmm. To just yeah, what, so what maybe is it? It's, it's not it's not going to be our fault. Maybe that's what he was going. It, after. It's got to be. I mean, your comparison to Carter is actually a pretty good one because is it the circumstance that's causing that? But even if it is, because we're talking about two presidents there that have dealt with unbelievable inflation, mm-hmm. mostly self-inflicted. Right. So maybe they are trying to just get out ahead of things and be like, look, here's what you need to do. Lower your expectations. Because mm-hmm. that is what this White House has done a ton of. They are constantly telling us, well, you know, I know that you got locked away for a while, but you've got a lot of good streaming options, you know. <laughs> like they, <laughs> It's true. There was a lot of that, and there continues to be a lot of that. And I guess... When I hear food shortages, I think it's a problem of framing because when he says that, I think, oh, crap, is he actually talking about there being such bare shelves that people are paying $100 for a loaf of bread and they're fighting to get in the door before the guy unloads the truck? 
because that's what comes to mind. But that's not what we're actually dealing with. And I, I'm realizing that even as we're talking, that when I can't get the kind of syrup I want in my venti iced chai, that's the kind of stuff we're actually talking right. about. And walking past bare shelves, yes, there are bare shelves, but most of them are not. And I, I, even as I'm saying, and I'm walking the line between saying, so it's not that bad, but it's all avoidable problems. So you're like angry that it's happening, but also thankful that it's not worse. Yeah, we're extremely privileged. So when I hear yeah. him say there's going to be, our president say there's going to be food shortages, I think, okay, the cost of X, Y, and Z is already a little bit higher. That's annoying, but I can figure it out. And I have all these other options because I live where I live. Are you that rational? Like when you hear that, do you go, oh, that this is what he means? Because my instinct, I'm not saying I end up there, but my instinct is to say, well, then we need to hoard canned goods. To Yes, I am that rational. That is what I thought. <laughs> oh, good for you. I did not think I need to hoard food. That's I, I talk myself off of that, mm -hmm. but that's where my mind goes when people say food shortages. And I maybe it's because that's where my wife's mind goes, and that's where a lot of people's mind yeah. goes, is to... I, are you a prepper at all, Roy? No, I aspire to be, but I'm, <laughs> I'm too lazy. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> That's the most honest answer you've ever given to any question. Yeah. And I'm so glad it's recorded. <laughs> I, I, I am not as lazy as you, thank God. Clearly. <laughs> but uh, I, I do have a, a spouse who, when she hears Joe Biden talk about this, and I don't know that she specifically goes, Joe Biden said it, now we got to get canned goods. But she's already in that mode that I think a lot of Americans are that, man, it's bad. I didn't realize it could get bad this quick. Therefore, if it gets worse, I need to be prepped for that. But don't you think that we go through this every time there's a storm of the century coming? Mm -hmm. You know, the toilet paper, you can't find it anywhere. Milk and bread, the shelves are empty. That. Mm -hmm. You know, we go through this all the time, false alarms. Uh, yesterday was supposed to be Armageddon over in Illinois. They were saying softball size hail mm -hmm. and tornadoes, and we had a little bit of rain. That was it. But I, I mean, that's not the same thing. But but I think there's this overreaction that some of us are used to. It's weird coming from the president. I'll grant yeah. you that. It's different than the than the media saying, "Oh, look out!" You know, yeah, hundred year flood. But but I it's because it hasn't been bare shelves it just makes it all the more curious why he went there i think that's overall what i'm getting mm -hmm. at is that it's a, it's a strange thing for a president to do and the only thing that makes sense to me actually trisha said it right at the beginning of the segment is he's just trying to get out ahead of a bad narrative if something goes bad he can look back and say well i told you so but mm -hmm. i don't know how that benefits anybody anyway it doesn't really benefit even the administration yeah. To say, well, we said it was going to get bad. Well, then everybody's just blaming you. You knew it was going to get bad. Why didn't you do anything? You know? I just, I don't get why there's, Trump got blamed a lot for this, especially at the beginning of COVID, because he said things like, don't worry, it's going to last until April. You know? He would say that stuff. But I don't really blame him for saying that stuff. That's optimistic stuff. Now, mm -hmm. I don't think that he, if you're planning, if you were doing no prep work, because you're so blindly optimistic, 
then that's one thing as a leader. That's but irresponsible. That's, yeah, but that's not what he was doing. Right. He was projecting strength. He was projecting optimism to the nation while privately planning for the worst. And, you know, doing Operation Warp Speed as early as April to try to get a vaccine. Obviously, he was planning for the worst, but he was projecting for the best. And I just don't know why, as a leader, you would not do that. No, I completely agree. And to the point of rational versus irrational in hoarding food or being nervous about what's going to happen, we have been through a lot and we have seen a lot of change. And there weren't those holes in grocery store shelves a couple of years ago. So we have seen it go pretty quickly. And it is a good reminder when we talk about food shortages, why that whole socialism narrative is so scary and where we don't want to go as a nation. So I don't I actually don't blame anybody at all for hearing the president say food shortages and and being on high alert after that. I, I feel blessed that I haven't experienced that. But some of those things don't, after the years we've had, don't seem as far away as they used to. No, I agree. That's, that's, I think that's where America is, is going, you know what? We were maybe falsely secure. Uh, but to an extent, maybe we weren't. Because if this is as bad as it gets, then thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, we could have avoided it, and the people in, in charge should be held responsible for that. But if this is as bad as it gets, great. If it's not... Yeah, I guess we should be hoarding canned goods. Wiggins America, thanks you guys for being here. More on the way. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. William Shatner, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. The real question here is why. I don't think I need to elaborate on that, do I? Hello, Ryan Wiggins, Wiggins America. Uh, Let's talk about something way more important than that, although I know it's tough. Got a tweet here from Liz Harrington. Talk to Liz Harrington before. She is the former president's top spokesperson, Liz Harrington is. She posts this kind of stuff a lot, and... The reason that she does is because, A, I think she she believes in it and she wouldn't be doing the job that she's doing if she didn't. And the president will not stop talking about it. That is actually one of the greatest things about Trump. I've had a lot of conversations with people recently about Trump, and there's a lot of sour grapes with him, even among people who are big America First MAGA supporters. They just don't like a lot of the things he's doing. Oh, well, for instance... He has endorsed some candidates like Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania that are very unpopular with the America First movement. And I get it. I absolutely get that. Dr. Oz, at least according to past statements, is not a conservative. He would be considered a very, very faux conservative at best based on those things. Now, I don't know if he's changed his opinion on a lot of this stuff. And if he has, was it for the sake of politics because he thinks he can win an election now and he doesn't have a TV show anymore, and he wants to do this. I don't know. I mean, that there's a lot, a lot to that. And so Trump's endorsement does go, <clears throat> excuse me, does go a distance for me, um, because he's clearly had some conversations with Dr. Oz. But Trump also is really attracted to celebrity, and if somebody's already got a big name, Herschel Walker, Dr. Oz, for instance, he'll he'll endorse them. Now, there's strategy here too. I, I didn't intend really to get into this, so bear with me here, but. 
their strategy to endorsing Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. People keep saying he's just going to be another Mitt Romney. You're probably right. He probably will be another Mitt Romney. But I think the strategy is if you elect this guy in a swing state right now, and Pennsylvania is very much in play, that's one that Republicans do not have locked up for the Senate at least. They never do. I mean, it's a swing state, so it's always going to swing back and forth. And this is a good year for Republicans coming up. Guarantee that. But I think he's thinking, let's just get a Republican in there so that we have a majority. Because right now, guess what would happen if you had Dr. Oz in there instead of a Democrat? And right now it is a Republican, so the the comparison doesn't quite work. But just if you had a 51-49 Senate Republicans rather than a 50-50 Democrat Senate, you wouldn't have Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson in there. You wouldn't have a lot of the judges who are being confirmed at a pretty fast pace, although it slowed down a little bit. There was a several months there for the first year of Biden's presidency that there was a lot of judges being confirmed. None of that would happen. Now, he may vote like Romney on a lot of things and stab people in the back and do things that are stupid. And I, maybe the Romney comparison itself isn't even fair because Romney did vote for Katanji Brown-Jackson, but he had nothing to lose. There was nothing at stake because he knew it was going to pass anyway, so why not show some bipartisanship, whatever, who cares? My point is, I think Trump's thinking, I'm going to be president in 2024 through 2028. I want a Republican senator in Pennsylvania. Now, whether we can rely on him for everything, I don't really care. But that's the strategy. Disagree with it, that's fine. I don't know if I agree with it either. Would you rather have a Republican senator who's barely a Republican or a Democrat? I think that's where he's coming from. Anyway, point being with Liz Harrington, she put out some tweets that I thought were great. And she does this all the time, and I don't always bring them up. But these are a bunch of video of one Dropbox in Georgia, Gwinnett County, Georgia, November 2020, of Multiple different people at different times a day walking up to this drop box and putting in a whole bunch more ballots than one. That's illegal. When we talk about ballot harvesting, that's what we're talking about. You can't just walk up to a ballot and put in a whole bunch of bar- ballots. Um, well, I guess in, in states where ballot harvesting is illegal, it's illegal. <laughs> in some states, that's legal, and it's so stupid. It's unbelievable. But let me give you some figures here. Um, and I'll read them, and then they're going to read them to you because these these investigators appeared on the Charlie Kirk show. But here they are, and and try to follow me on the numbers here. Uh, let's see, Gwinnett County on ten eleven twenty, two hundred and seventy people went to a single drop box, but nineteen hundred and sixty two ballots were recorded as deposited. That is not just suspicious. That is ballot harvesting. That is fake votes. That's what that is. Okay? So here is the audio on it. They're saying what I just said, but they're saying it in a little bit more detail. Follow along here. So here's what here's what we know in Gwinnett County on October the eleventh from seven thirty in the morning to October twelfth, a Monday morning at seven thirty or so, when they picked up the ballots. Because of the pings, we knew that approximately 270 people went to this ballot box. But according to the uh, chain of custody custody document, 1,962 ballots were actually deposited. 270 people recorded. Now, they knew that from the pings, the cell phones and stuff like that. That's where they track a lot of this stuff. 
But they also, by law in most states, you have to have a camera on these drop boxes. 270 people, they were able to confirm both with the pings and with the camera that 270 people went to this one drop box in Gwinnett County, Georgia, but they had 1,962 ballots recorded from that drop box. That's a problem. Now, I, I cut this audio because Charlie Kirk asked some good questions about making sure that they knew what they were talking about, and they clearly do. But listening to the why, and why hasn't this been discussed? Who's in charge of this? Just listen to the how confusing this is. But who's supervising this? Just, the Secretary of State of Georgia, I guess, is supposed to be, right? Well, the one thing, one thing we, we often laughed about was, you know, just unpacking these videos was a challenge in and of itself. And one thing we often laughed about was that it, it was clear to us nobody was ever intended to look at these videos. Okay, so who's in charge of this? Uh, well, one of them said, well, the Secretary of State, ultimately, Brad Raffensperger in Georgia. No, 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 the counties are supposed to be in charge of it. Oh, wait, no, uh, the video exists, but what we see ultimately is that nobody's really doing anything about this. Nobody was even intended to watch these videos. They exist for watchdogs like them to come along and say, hang on, there's a problem here. But nobody's doing that. We're talking about it's been a year and a half since this happened, and they're just getting this. So that's one facet. That's one drop box. How many drop boxes were there in the United States? Here's the estimate, Liz Harrington. Now, she's just quoting it. I'm quoting her, okay? She says 4.8 million ballots harvested in the swing states alone. 4.8 million ballots. Now, again, that doesn't mean that 4.8 million were illegal ballots. That just means that nearly 5 million ballots just in the swing states were collected via ballot harvesting, and therefore, we don't know. The cameras help, but it takes so much time to go through this. But here's the good news. Let me end on the good news. Dinesh D'Souza and others, it's taken them time, true the vote, good organizations, have been sifting through this. And there's a movie about to come out showcasing all of it. It's called 2,000 Mules. Highly, che- highly recommend you check it out. It's due to be released, I think, the first weekend of May, so just a couple weeks away. And once that comes out, and that will be focused on ballot harvesting, there are a lot of other issues, but let's talk about ballot harvesting because it's one of the easiest to prove because of all those cameras. We will have something to point at and say, look, we've been saying this election was a problem. Here is hard evidence presented in a very digestible fashion. And that is coming out soon. And I am looking forward to it. You know what else I'm looking forward to? Letting this song play. Because, again, maybe the most important question we've asked in this whole break. Why? Why did William Shatner sing Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds? Why did he ever sing anything? Did Was somebody telling him this was good? I don't know. More on the way. Wiggins America, 97.1 FM Talk. Luke Wake from Pacific Legal Foundation is on the phone with us. And I think you've probably seen, we've all seen the news this week that Philadelphia was returning to mask mandates. Is this based on what, Luke? Is it science? Is it legal? What are we talking about here? Well, (laughs) uh, that's a good question. I I think that um, what we've learned through the course of this pandemic is that uh, quote unquote uh, 
health policy experts are about the most risk adverse people under the sun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's, there's risk associated with basically everything we do. And, and, you know, when it comes to setting policy about how we live our lives, what kind of restrictions we're going to impose on, uh, on liberty in order to, you know, protect public health, uh, there, it inevitably is a line drawing exercise that requires, um, you know, a value judgment. And, and it just seems like these folks are <laughs> incredibly risk adverse. And that's that's the best I can explain it for you. Yeah. You know, we've talked a little bit this week on the radio about the action bias that seems to take place in all aspects of government now that doing nothing cannot exist. You have to be doing something, even if it's terrible, just to show that you're ahead of the game. I'm, I'm active and you can trust me as a leader. But with, I think what concerns me, and, and I'm getting a little about outside of legal territory here for you as Luke, so I apologize for that. But um, we're in an era now when the government says to the health agency, the CDC or whoever it may be, uh, here's kind of what we're looking for. And it seems like the CDC is willing to respond. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of collusion, which is creating distrust among Americans, among our institutions. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a number of reasons why I, I think you know the trust in some institutions has, has, has eroded, and, and and you know I one can I can only speculate to, to you know why that would be. I've certainly seen a lot of commentary from a lot of folks about uh, you know the seeming uh, back and forth decisions that have been made over the last couple of years, and and, and that is that is concerning. But you know, when it comes to these mask mandates, I, I the, the resurgence of them, I mean, it does underscore you know, a concern that I have. And I think, you know, if you're certainly if you're running a, a small business and you were affected by, you know, business closures or occupancy restrictions in 2020 and 2021, there, there's a sinking feeling anytime you see some news like this, because you, you, you begin to worry, gosh, you know, is the shoe going to drop here? I mean, any new variant that comes up, any new suggestion that there's a new wave, it, it's in the back of your mind that, Gosh, we're not out of the woods. At least, you know, as, as long as the regulators, uh, you know, continue to to think that they can impose restrictions on us, uh, what's to stop them? Maybe we're just in the eye of the hurricane, and 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 so there's concern. If, if I have to, you know, deal with new restrictions, am I going to be able to survive? That I, I think most of us think that we're, you know, more or less, you know, through the through the storm here, <laughs> but then we see this. Yeah, exactly. There's there's rumblings around the world and even in the United States. And it, it, it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, because we're all kind of we're, we're all looking forward, but we're looking side eyed going, wait a minute, just making sure this is in the rearview mirror. Right. So Luke Wake is with us right now from Pacific Legal Foundation. Let me get back into your wheelhouse. This is a legal question. So since the OSHA mandate was deemed unconstitutional for the most part by the Supreme Court, yeah, mm -hmm. that was in what? When, when exactly? Give us the timeline of when that was. I forget how long ago that was. Now, well, it was uh, in early January. We had the the opinion from uh, the the U.S. Supreme Court saying that OSHA had uh, exceeded its statutory authority and and trying to coerce everyone into uh, you know companies into requiring their employees to become vaccinated. And so that was um, was a significant opinion. And you know my. Um, my I hats off to my former colleagues at NFIB for, you know, bringing that case successfully. So the legal question I have for you is when I when I look at everything that the Biden administration has done, but it's not just about it's, it's top to bottom, really, among government right now. Um, they have been trying to undermine really a lot of laws and rulings given to them about the southern border. 
And so with with that, I'm just asking you legally, have they tried to subvert this OSHA ruling from the Supreme Court in any way? Well, my my understanding is that they are, uh, I, I believe I saw even just yesterday that they were putting forward a new uh, ETS, a new emergency temporary standard regulation that um, was, if I understand it correctly, I haven't looked at it precisely, but my, my understanding is, and so let me, let me back up. The Supreme Court didn't say that under no circumstances can they require a vaccination. Right. What they said was you, you can't do this, um, you know, sort of across the board, require all employers to, to, to do a vaccination. And and so you know as as ever with the law the devil really is in the details, and so they had some wiggle room then to go back to the drawing board, come up with a new standard that um, that was more consistent with the the Supreme Court's opinion, and basically they, the Supreme Court's opinion allowed the OSHA to go back to the drawing board and require vaccine mandates but only where uh, the mandate was really tied in a very obvious way to the the nature of the work uh, in question. So, for example, uh, you know, if you're healthcare, uh, things that are happening in the healthcare context, um, you know, where you're interacting with people and there's sort of special risks involved, um, you know, that's a different story than than imposing a vaccine mandate on a company that has, you know, truckers driving across the country. Right. Luke, let me ask you this question before we run out of time, because I think it applies to things. Let's because let's let's assume that COVID is in the rearview mirror. I mean, I, this stuff from Philadelphia instituting mask mandates and stuff, it does shake you up a little bit because you're like, no, please, don't, please, let's not go there. But um, a broader question is when the CDC or the FDA or whoever it is issues any sort of edict to America, where are we legally with that? Are we kind of, as a nation, figuring out how much authority these agencies have? Is that why these are going through court so much? Well, look, I mean, the, the fact is we, we live in an era when uh, the the fourth branch of government, I like to call it, is you know, the, the, the bureaucracy, the federal bureaucracy is always spouting out regulations and orders and whatnot. And historically, I mean, since the New Deal era, courts have been extremely deferential to these agencies when they're when they're coming out with orders and regulations that are affecting our lives and our, our liberties. And that is is concerning. And you know, we're working at Pacific Legal Foundation to put teeth back in the Constitution. And one of the points that we're just consistently making in, in these cases is that you really have to scrutinize the agency's assertion of authority here. You can't just assume that because they say that they have authority that they do, they actually have to be able to show chapter and verse in the statutes that Congress passed because Congress makes law in this country, not not the executive branch, um, where they have that authority. And they can't, and this is where the agencies love to get in, you know, they're getting a lot of trouble, I think. They love to take uh, sort of general language and begin to stretch it in an elastic fashion to sort of justify anything they want to do with us. And it's not just happening in the COVID context. This happens across the board, uh, Department of Labor, EPA, you name it, any sort of regulation that we're seeing in this modern era that's affecting our lives and our businesses, they're generally speaking, trying to stretch their statutory authority to the breaking point. And so we're pushing back. And the good news is 
uh, the Supreme Court in recent years has shown a greater willingness to actually invalidate um, stat- uh, regulations that um, are you know, just elastically stretching their authority. And, and we've got to hold them to account and reinforce the constitu- constitutional precept that, again, only Congress makes law, and they cannot just give away that lawmaking function to uh, the executive branch. Yeah, well, I, for one, am very glad that you guys exist at Pacific Legal Foundation for that very reason. You guys are pushing back on this unlimited authority of bureaucracies and agencies that uh, so far has been pretty unrestrained. So thank you for what you guys do. Luke, if you want people finding you, where do they go? Well, you can always visit us. PacificLegal.org. I have my bio there. They can find me, and and you know if they need to reach out, they can certainly talk. If they've got any sort of regulatory problem, I'm I'm happy to talk. Luke Wake from Pacific Legal Foundation. Thank you for your time this morning. Yeah, you take care. Bye. Just got a report that my kids are dying eggs. Got some pictures. Super super cute. That's not what we're going to talk about in this segment. We got very little time left in the show. Wiggins America. Thanks for being here. Uh, I mentioned last week that I was following a guy by the name of, let's see, Jack Maxey. Jack Maxey. He is a journalist. And I'm careful about these things because a lot of times you get reports about things that end up being, for the most part, they'll end up being partially true. Uh, Sometimes they're outright false. Sometimes they're completely true. But for the most part, they're partially true. So it's my job to sift through that and try to find what's fully true so that I can report it to you. Well, this guy, Jack Maxey, is interesting, and I've been following him just because I'm like, there's something here. Now, he was one of the original four or five people that got a copy of the Hunter Biden laptop once it was given to Rudy Giuliani. Retrace retrace the steps here for you. The owner of that computer shop in Delaware took it to the FBI. The FBI basically blew him off, and he thought, Actually, they seem like they're going to be turning on me, so I'm going to turn to some other people that I think I can trust. And he didn't really know anybody. He was just a computer shop owner. Somehow got the laptop in the hands of Rudy Giuliani, and either Giuliani gave it to these four or five people, or the computer shop owner gave it to these four or five five people. I get lost into which it was, but regardless, this guy, Jack Maxey, is one of the original people who had the laptop. So he tried for a long, long time to get this laptop into people's hands and did. He got it into Chuck Grassley's hands on the Senate. Um, he was very, very disappointed that Chuck Grassley didn't do anything with it, but was told by Grassley, apparently, wait until we take back the House. Well, that's that was going to be a while because I think at this time, this wasn't even, this was while Trump was still in office. Um, or if it was more recently, it's you had to wait too long. These things are happening now. The guy's president. He's causing damage. you got to do something about it if he's doing illegal things. So this guy, Jack Maxey, has still had a copy of the laptop for a long time and has fled to Switzerland to do forensic analysis of the laptop because apparently they're trying to pull up all the stuff that was deleted on it. Because obviously, you know, when you delete something on your computer, is it actually deleted Well, probably not. You can still find some of that stuff if you have the right team. So he has taken his laptop and fled to Switzerland uh, for fear of retaliation, apparently, according to him. So I said last week I was going to report on that. There's really no new news with that. However, Kim.com, remember that name? Kim.com. He's a famous hacker. He's from New Zealand. I think he was involved a lot in the Julian Assange stuff. 
but he is a very, very talented hacker. I wouldn't call him a conservative. A lot of these people are not at all conservative. They're just for the non-centralization of information, which at this point is kind of a conservative value, free speech, because information has been so centralized that it gets controlled too much. So these guys are free speech advocates and open government advocates probably more than anything. Kim.com is one of those guys. He's pretty well respected in the uh, hacking community. So he starts off on a bunch of tweets in association with this Jack Maxey guy. And I'll just read them. And again, I don't know exactly how much of this is true or what we're going to see from it. But he says, and he's he's a source. Look, he is. He's actually got the blue check on Twitter and everything. He says, the Hunter Biden laptop data contains evidence of the worst kind of child abuse. One forensic analyst told me that he has to take frequent breaks because of how disgusting the evidence is. Um, that's one thing he says. To be clear, because of legal advice and the sensitive nature of the Hunter Biden laptop data, I have refused to receive a copy, but I'm in daily contact with basically this forensics team that is pulling up all the deleted stuff. He says the Hunter Biden laptop was provided to major media organizations months ago. Part of the plan is to name those who have received copies of the data to expose them for not acting on it and or covering it up because they're all accomplices. They are aiding and abetting criminals, Kim.com says. I gave this interview to Bloomberg before WikiLeaks released DNC leaks and the Podesta emails. Clearly, I was in the know when the Biden tribalist question might tweet, uh, when the Biden tribalists, like Biden loyalists, question my tweets about Hunter Biden's laptop data being released soon. Uh, I have a lot, a lot of things to show them. He says he goes into how he's showing this. Uh, he's using all kinds of backdoor devices and stuff, so he can't be traced to it. Um, last tweet here, which I thought was interesting. I work with the data forensics team that analyzes the Hunter Biden laptop data. Expect a major release soon. The data reveals numerous crimes. Hunter Biden will go to jail. Joe Biden will resign. End quote. So that's the news. Uh, that's not necessarily Jack Maxey news, but... I said I was going to follow it. There you go. You can do the research for yourself. Again, we just have to wait and see. Some of these things are salacious claims, and until they can back up those claims, we don't know. Thanks for tuning in. Wiggins America. Get more at 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.